Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, March 22nd, and uh, it's been a really busy week. I don't know. Um, you may or may not know I had three papers due this week. I had two exams. Um, I'm really sorry this episode is taking so long. I'm officially now on spring break. And, uh, man, today's episode is fantastic. We're going to talk about Eli Manning. We're going to break down. It's really sad. You know, I'm recording after 6 p.m. On the, on the West Coast. Probably this episode won't go out until after midnight on the East Coast. And uh, it's, I really hope people from the East Coast watch this. We're going to break down in-depth Eli Manning. How did he play last year? Does he suck? Does he not? What was the problem with the New York Giants? We're going to talk about Odell Beckham Jr., we're going to break down the West Virginia quarterback, Will Greer. Uh, weirdly enough, he's the most suggested quarterback. I've received literally hundreds of messages about Will Greer. Uh, we'll talk about him. We're going to talk about March Madness, even a little bit of baseball. Um, and it's really, I don't know if you know this, today for me, to, this is a terrifying episode for me to put out. Um, we have a, a problem. If you ask me, there's a problem. It's not just in the sports media. It's kind of all the media uh, with extremism, with people really having extreme opinions and the problem in the sports media is you have people who are irresponsible and uh, play to people's emotions. They, they do things like they don't do any research. They just yell really loudly their opinions. You know, oh, it's the most outrageous thing I've ever seen. And they're freaking out and all animated. And it's like, relax. Like, please tone it down. I, I just like, I, uh, uh, I, I'm not a fan of that. And I, um, I, the reason why that irritates me is because when irresponsible analysts yell emotional things, it confirms people's preconceived notions. It, it closes people's minds and doesn't it really begin a conversation. I think the more important thing to do in sports is to say, hmm, what, do I, wh- what could happen? And I, and I really try to approach it that way when I watch film. I say, hmm, I have an open mind. What can I learn from this? Am I right? Am I wrong? I have maybe some ideas and where I think it could go, but I have an open mind when I watch film. And uh, I really, I, I'm afraid, here's how I'll put it. Today, I'm going to say something you might agree, disagree with. You might completely disagree with everything I say today. Um, and I hope at the end of the day, we all love sports. I love sports. You love sports. And I will never, ever pretend to be something I'm not. I will always say exactly what I believe. Um, and I will not fake anything. I, will, I, just, I, I promise to always be myself. So uh, with that said, <laughs> um, if you listen to what the media says about Eli Manning, uh, you will hear things like, he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. He's awful. He's garbage. He can't throw. He's the reason why the New York Giants are losing games. And it's like, ah, just loud and awful. And it's all, Eli Manning is the worst. That's what you hear repeatedly. And I just, I had to know for myself. I wanted to look at film and see what does the film say about Eli Manning? Is he good? Is he not? What are his problems? What are we going to find out? And um, when I watched film, I... <laughs> It, uh, it made me a little bit uncomfortable because I realized and I kind of found he's still a good quarterback. Eli Manning is still a viable, competitive quarterback in the NFL. He doesn't suck. And he's, you know, everyone talks about how immobile he is. He gets sacked because he can't run and he can't move. Um, that's also not true. He's way more mobile than I expected. And he can still throw the football. He can still throw. It's like, oh, everything I've heard about Eli Manning apparently is not true. You know, Odell Beckham Jr. called him out last year and said he couldn't throw the deep ball. I, I don't know. I mean, look, they played together. I don't, I, maybe they probably saw something at practice I didn't see, but what I saw on film was a guy who can make every throw he's expected to, 
and I was I was just really impressed. I don't know. Um, maybe people say he doesn't have any arm strength. I, I don't know what to tell those people because what I saw on film was a quarterback who, again, can make every single throw and do everything that's expected of him. Uh, now, look, his Eli Manning's mechanics are terrible. I hate them. It's all arm. Uh, he doesn't really use his legs when he throws. And I, like when I watch Eli Manning throw the football, I grimace. I go, ugh, it hurts. It, why, it hurts to watch. Like, it hurts my neck. It hurts my shoulder. Um, I mean, the dude just kind of hucks the ball downfield. And he doesn't finish his throws. There's no rotational force with his legs. He doesn't use his legs to create power at all. And then again, that's really hard on your neck and your arm. Um, but man, uh, I, he can throw. I mean, there is some atrophy, right? He's not the same thrower he was five years ago. He throws an interception on a deep out route, and uh, the ball just takes a long time to get where it needs to go. Like, I'm sure that five years ago, that throw was way, way easier for him. Uh, but like it or not, Eli Manning is still capable of making every throw he needs to make. Now, here's what Eli Manning does that is invaluable. He's really good at reading defenses. He throws the ball to the right spot basically every single time. He's way more reliable than a rookie quarterback would be. Other than one exception, he does not force the ball downfield over and over and over again. There were examples where, you know, third and long, second and long, Eli Manning does not force the ball downfield. He takes what the defense gives him and throws the ball underneath. It's a great example of this. It's third and 16 against the Eagles. The Eagles coverage backs way off. He doesn't force it. He throws underneath to his running back. And ultimately that leads to a first down. And I'm telling you, we saw that over and over and over again. He makes great read after great read. He goes to the right spot with the football. And here's what's really bizarre. Eli is incredibly responsible with the football. Eli Manning does not force the ball into coverage unless, <laughs> this is where it's weird, unless he's throwing the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. Eli makes great reads. He only throws the ball to his wide receivers deep if they've actually beat their man by a step. If they beat their man, if they have a step on their guy, Eli Manning will take a shot, throw the ball deep downfield. But Eli Manning becomes a different quarterback when he's throwing to Odell Beckham Jr. It's bizarre. It's wild. The really patient, really safe guy suddenly is forcing the ball into coverage and making really bad decisions. Only when he's throwing to Odell Beckham Jr., he becomes, again, a different quarterback. It's bizarre to watch on film. There's a play against the Eagles at 2nd and 10. There's 17 seconds left before halftime. And the Eagles basically run a prevent defense. They have two safeties on the goal line. They have two corners taking away deep sideline throws. And they have three defenders on the inside to take away deep digs and deep you know, posts in the middle of the field. Eli floats the ball up into the middle of the field for Odell Beckham Jr. And it's an easy interception. Instead of checking the ball down and setting the Giants up for a field goal, he broke protocol and forced a throw to OBJ. It can't be a coincidence. It can't. And if you watch Odell Beckham Jr.'s body language all season, it was awful. It was awful. He doesn't want to be there. When he didn't get the ball, he showed everyone in the stadium, everyone watching, he showed, I'm upset. I don't like this. I should have gotten the ball. He's very, he doesn't need to say anything to be very vocal and expressive with his body language. And when I watch that, I see multiple things. I see three things. The first thing is that Odell Beckham Jr. did not trust his quarterback. The second thing is that OBJ is immature. And the third thing is that Eli Manning did a really poor job communicating with his wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. They did not communicate well. And that's on Eli. That's Eli's fault. If my wide receiver was doing that, 
having really bad expressive body language, very obviously unhappy. I would go up to him, I'd be very direct, and I would really try to find common ground to say, dude, let's get on the same page. How do we do this? How do we fix this? What's going on? I want to work with you. You want to work with me. We want to be successful and win. And it's like, Eli, I don't know if Eli, you would think Eli did that, but it didn't work. And it wasn't something, there's some kind of disconnect. Eli and OBJ were never on the same page. And it's, it's funny, man. Eli treats OBJ differently than he does every other wide receiver on the Giants last year. When I watch that, I see multiple things. I see three things. The first one is that Odell Beckham Jr. does not trust his quarterback. Right? It's, it's sad. That's what I see. The second thing is that OBJ is just immature. He doesn't handle things very well. And the third thing is that Eli Manning does a really poor job of communicating with his wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, look, if that's on Eli, right? If my wide receiver was doing that, being very expressive, showing he's unhappy, I'd go up to him, I'd be very direct and say, dude, how do we solve this? How do we get on the same page? I would really try to find common ground. I, I, it's clearly, it didn't work for Eli. Whatever Eli was doing, he was not getting onto the same page with Odell Beckham Jr. And they never were. They never were on the same page. And what's even more interesting is Eli Manning treats OBJ differently than every other wide receiver on their team. He throws riskier passes to him that really he would have never thrown to anybody else. And here's what's really important. Eli Manning throws the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. in critical moments. And multiple times on those critical moments... It didn't work. Whether it was Eli's fault or OBJ's fault, it did not work. It did not make things happen. There's a third and four. The Giants are losing to the Eagles 19 to 22. There's six minutes left, and OBJ gets a one-on-one matchup. Eli throws him the ball, and he does not make the play. The receiver doesn't come down with the ball. How about this? On fourth and three against the Panthers, OBJ just flat out drops the ball. He does not catch the ball, does not make the play. Here's one that's even worse on third and eight against the Cowboys. OBJ basically makes no effort to catch a ball over the middle. He would have gotten hit. He looked like he was unwilling to take a hit and catch the ball. And uh, man, it's, it's really interesting. He makes a lot of finesse plays. And whenever it's convenient for him, he's fantastic. But he's not a, he's not a gritty wide receiver. He's not a guy who's going to make the play in critical moments and you need him. And that, that doesn't strike me as the kind of guy I want on my team. Look, we're getting too caught up. I, I think the point is this. I believe Eli Manning will be a better quarterback in the future when Odell Beckham Jr. is no longer on his team. I know that's weird. I know that's out there, but that's, that's what I see. Now, Giants fans are on one side or the other. Everyone either believes Eli Manning was the problem or Odell Beckham Jr. is the problem. I, I hate to break it to you guys. Uh, it's, it's neither. <laughs> um, the Giants offensive line, that was the problem with their offense. Their offensive line was atrocious. They were awful. And just, oh my gosh, they were so hard to watch. Uh, Really, considering how bad the Giants' offensive line was, Elon Manning did pretty well. He had 4,299 yards, 21 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and a 66% completion percentage. Um, Here's what's really sad. Last offseason, the Giants signed left tackle Nate Solder to a massive contract. Four years, $62 million, $35 million guaranteed. And... um, (laughs) Yeah, that, that contract was awful. That, that's not a good contract by uh, the Giants general manager, David Edelman. Um, over and over and over again, their offensive line was just terrible. I mean, so many clips. I, I have so, so many clips on my computer where Eli Manning had absolutely no chance in the pocket. He just got annihilated. 
I mean, teams got pressure on Eli immediately with a four-man rush. Eli Manning would be at the back at the end of his drop, taking a five-step drop, and would already have pressure in his face, be getting sacked. You can't have that. You can't win games when that's your offensive line. I mean, look, the Giants had five, sometimes six people in blocking, and they still couldn't block a four-man rush. That's really, really awful. Now, there's one play in particular I want to share. It's against the Cowboys. And the Cowboys do a really, really good job confusing the offensive line. Pre-snap, the Cowboys have six guys on the line of scrimmage. All three giant wide receivers have a defender standing directly in front of them. Their head, their defender's eyes are directly on their wide receivers. And what that tells us, if you're a quarterback looking at this, you go, hmm, that looks like man coverage. And of the six guys on the line of scrimmage, one of those guys has to pick up the running back. You don't blitz six guys and have nobody pick up the running back. It tells us if you're a quarterback, the Cowboys are probably bringing a five-man rush. Cowboys are blitzing. That, that's what you know. You know the Cowboys are bringing pressure. They're coming after the quarterback. There's also two high safeties deep to help over the top, which means that their plan is we're going to run man coverage to take stuff underneath with two deep safeties helping. Now, late before the snap, Cowboys linebacker Jalen Smith backs off. Number 54, the linebacker in the middle, backs out. And at about the same time, the safeties rotate. One rotates up to the middle of the field and one rotates down over the slot receiver. Now, the defender that was in front of the slot receiver creeps towards the line of scrimmage. And what this is, is the Cowboys have been disguising their coverage. They made it look like one thing, and then right before the snap, changed it and ran something else. Now, the the Cowboys did blitz five people. That's what the look they gave. The look was the Cowboys looked like they were going to blitz five guys. They do blitz five guys, but they blitz a different five guys than it initially looked like. Linebacker from the right side blitzes, and the Cowboys' defensive line runs a stunt. What a stunt is is where defensive linemen cross each other. They cross paths and make it harder for the offensive line to block them. So as the play begins, the giant center has nobody in front of him. He has no idea pressure's coming from the right. The center overcommits to the left. He's not in position to pick up the defender coming from the right. And this kind of thing happened all the time with the Giants' offensive line. Giants offensive linemen were often badly beaten or completely out of position, and Eli Manning had no chance because of that. Eli is a solid quarterback. He could still win games in the NFL. And the truth is, if the Giants get a better offensive line, he could still win games in New York. But what kills me is Giants fans who believe that Dwayne Haskins or Josh Rosen is the answer to all their problems. There's not a single quarterback I can think of who could win games consistently with that offensive line. They are awful. So here's the deal. Um, All these people have hot takes by Eli Manning. They're calling for people's jobs. And I just, I think it's wildly inappropriate. I I don't think you can have an opinion like that when you're uninformed. Here's what I saw in film is Eli Manning has flaws. He's not a perfect quarterback and he's old. I mean, the Giants have to find some kind of plan for when Eli Manning eventually retires. But Eli Manning is not a terrible quarterback. He can still make all the throws he needs to. He makes great decisions. He just needs an offensive line. Eli Manning can still play. So, um, I've done the work. I've watched every single Giants game in 2018. Did a film breakdown of Eli Manning. Very proud of it. It's really good. You should go watch it. And what we learned in that film breakdown is Eli Manning can still play football. He's still a viable quarterback in the NFL. Eli's not the problem for the Giants. 
So what does that mean? What does that tell us? What is the takeaway and what do you do moving forward if you are the Giants? The first thing is this. Some people, some Giants fans believe that either Dwayne Haskins or Josh Rosen is the answer to all the Giants' problems. Simply not true. It's just not true. The offensive line is awful. The offensive line is the problem with the Giants' offense. And really, I don't know a single quarterback in the NFL that could succeed behind the Giants' offensive line. They are awful. They're atrocious. That's the problem you need to solve if you're the Giants. Now, it's still, Eli Manning's still a problem. Eli Manning can play. He's a good, viable quarterback. He's also still 38 years old. That's not going to change. He's not getting any younger. And so while Eli can still play, that's encouraging, that's really good, the Giants have to figure out some kind of succession plan for when he inevitably retires. So what do you do? If you're the Giants, how do you go about this? Well, the Giants have two first-round picks. They have the, uh, the number six overall pick and the 17th overall pick. I truly believe the Giants must trade for Josh Rosen if they can. A couple reasons. The first one is this. I think Josh Rosen is a better quarterback than Dwayne Haskins. I did the film. I broke down both of them. Josh Rosen's a better thrower of the football. He's also got a year of experience in the NFL. He's a little bit farther ahead of Dwayne Haskins as a quarterback. The other reason is this. Josh Rosen is cheaper. Not only is he better, Josh Rosen's a better quarterback. He comes at a lower price. The only way to get Dwayne Haskins right now is to draft him with a number six overall pick. Josh Rosen could be worth the 17th overall pick, maybe a second round pick, maybe a third round pick. Josh Rosen is considerably cheaper for a better value and a better quarterback than Dwayne Haskins. The reason is this. The Cardinals have to get rid of Josh Rosen sooner than later. They can't wait till after the draft for a couple reasons. First, you can't, if, if the Cardinals do indeed draft Kyler Murray, the quarterback out of Oklahoma, you don't want to wait and have two quarterbacks on your roster. Then you're in trouble because then you're at the mercy of everybody else. Everybody knows you can't have both quarterbacks on your roster. It sends a bad message. You'll be desperate to trade him away. But the Cardinals also can't wait till after the NFL draft. If you wait till after the draft, all the quarterback needy teams are going to already have their guy. And the demand is going to be far lower to trade Josh Rosen. The best time to trade Josh Rosen, if you're the Cardinals, is right now, while teams still don't have the quarterback of their future in their plans. Man, I, I really think if the Giants might be able to get him for a second-round pick, a third-round pick, maybe even the 17th overall pick, that's really good. The Giants could spend, get a better value, a better quarterback for cheaper if they trade for Josh Rosen than drafting Dwayne Haskins. Here's the other thing. That sixth overall pick must, it must be used for either defense to make their defense better, they need some linebackers, or to draft offensive linemen. The Giants' offensive line is awful. That's their big problem on their team. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm really sorry to offend anybody, but Eric Flowers is awful. Um, (laughs) Eric Flowers is basically useless. And I hate to break it to you, that Nate Solder contract is also really, really bad. He's mediocre. He's wildly overpaid. Um, Now, I don't blame the Giants general manager, Dave Gettleman, at all. He was trying to bring Nate Solder in, and they were desperate, saying, look, we got to have a left tackle. We'll pay this guy who's been good in the past. And he just was a letdown. He got, he, they tricked him. You know, he, they paid him too much, and he's not ready to go. Um, if I was the Giants, I would draft the tackle from Washington State, Andre Dillard. I played against him in high school. I've met him a couple times. He's a great guy. He works his butt off, and he's really, really good on film. I mean, he, Andre Dillard never, ever misses a block. 
So after watching the Giants film, again, a couple takeaways is trade for Josh Rosen. You got to draft offensive line. The third takeaway is this. Uh, after watching the Giants film, it's not only clear that Eli Manning's not the problem. He's a viable quarterback. It's also very clear that drafting Saquon Barkley was absolutely the right move for the New York Giants in last year's NFL draft. The Giants didn't need a quarterback, and the running back Saquon Barkley is incredible. When I looked at last year, I was really shocked to find out of the 11 games the Giants lost, eight of them were by one score or less. The Giants were in games. They were competitive. There are two reasons for that. One is their quarterback, Eli Manning, is better than people realize. And the second reason is Saquon Barkley, their running back's unbelievable. He's fantastic. And they relied on him heavily. They used Saquon Barkley a lot, and they got a lot out of him. He played fantastic. He's great. Drafting him really, really paid off. And I, I was dead wrong. I, I was critical when the Giants didn't draft a quarterback. No, 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 no. <laughs> Drafting Saquon Barkley was absolutely the right thing. He's incredible. They didn't, didn't need a quarterback. And the Giants did the right thing by drafting Saquon Barkley. So uh, that takes us to Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> um, drink some water first. <sighs> it's weird. The, the whole building's like empty. There's like two people here because everyone went home for spring break. <clears throat> um, Odell Beckham Jr. is now part of the Cleveland Browns. And many, many people have expressed concern about this. They're not happy. They're very either. I mean, people are either really concerned or really, really excited. People are worried that OBJ will either cause or create a distraction in the Cleveland Browns locker room. Now, personally, I don't think there's a better team that Odell Beckham Jr. could have joined in the entire NFL. Again, of all the locker rooms in the NFL, the Browns are absolutely the best locker room for Odell Beckham Jr. to succeed. Two reasons for this. Uh, the first one's this. His old college buddy, Landry Jarvis Landry, is his, his roommate, his best friend. He's also a member of the Cleveland Browns. They're going to get along really, really great. Um, I believe they're going to feed off each other, help each other, motivate each other. Um, but more importantly, having a buddy, having Jarvis Landry is great for OBJ. More importantly is this. Baker Mayfield is the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield understands Odell Beckham Jr. First of all, it's the skill set. Baker Mayfield's skill set his ability to stretch the field vertically throwing the ball, it's a good match for OBJ. Their skill sets align. But here's what I really, really liked. When Baker Mayfield was asked about bringing Odell Beckham Jr. into their locker room, he said this. He and Jarvis seem like a lot of personality to try and... <laughs> I don't even know if you want to tame I mean, it, right? Yeah. Let it rip. You can say the same thing about me. You don't want to tame it. You just let them be themselves and, and make plays. You know what? Uh, that's who they are. Uh, when it comes down to it, the, the guys in that locker room... Um, you know, you're, you're going to love playing with them. And uh, I know from from Saquon and Sterling Shepard that uh, I'm very close with that I know exactly who OBJ is inside the locker room and, and, and who he is to his teammates. And that's, that's the most important thing is people can have their, you know, attitudes and, and perspective on it. But uh, he's himself and he also, he has his teammates back. I want you to notice three things Baker Mayfield said in that quote. He said three very, very important things. First one is this. He said, you could say the same thing about me that you're saying about OBJ. He then said, you can't try to tame anybody. You can't try to tame Odell Beckham Jr. And then he said, you just got to let the guy be himself. It's fantastic. Baker Mayfield understands. He's made headlines for his own actions on the sidelines. He's very similar to OBJ in that world. 
OBJ and the Giants didn't work out. I don't really care what happened. It was a mess. It was awful. Um, I don't worry about the past. I want to worry about the future. I, I truly believe in Cleveland, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to find understanding. He's going to find people he can relate to. I, I don't think emotion's a bad thing, especially in the, in the world of football. And one time we were doing training in the offseason, and a receiver dropped a pass. It, he, I threw it really hard. It went through his hands and hit him in the forehead. And after that, he was, he was really angry. He ran to the sideline. He yelled. He grabbed the fence and went, ah! He grabbed the fence and shook it really hard. And um, it wasn't a big deal. It, that emotion was not a big problem for anybody. You know, it happened. He got the emotion out of his system, and then he moved on to the next play. It was like, oh, cool, whatever. You don't want to police emotion, especially in a sport like football. And you want emotion. Emotion's not a bad thing. You want guys excited. You want guys excited when they do well. You want guys upset when they lose. I mean, losing's not a good thing. You don't want to take that easily. But what you can't do is you can't let emotion affect you on the next play or the rest of the game. It can't take over the game. It's got to be something that happens, it happens, and then you move on from it very quickly. Bang, bang, it's over. I mean, if something happens, you, know, you drop a touchdown pass or you, you catch a touchdown pass, either way, get it out of your system. Be really happy, be, you know, celebrate or be frustrated, but flush it and move on. You can't let emotion too high or too low affect you either way. I get comments a lot of the times. People say really nasty, mean stuff about me on YouTube. They say awful things. They're like, I hate you. Your hair's awful. You're fat. You're ugly. Uh. And I try to take that in stride, and then I try to take the compliments. And people say, hey, you're really great. I love your show. You got to stay even keel. You can't go too far either way. You can celebrate a little bit, but then move on and get back to what you're doing. Um, I truly believe the Browns have a group in place to get the most out of Odell Beckham Jr. and make him really, really successful. They got a leader, Baker Mayfield, the guy who gets it. They have, you know, the media is always trying to blow things out of proportion when Odell Beckham Jr. does literally anything. When Baker, when Odell Beckham Jr. kicks something or throws a helmet or when literally anything happens, the media is going to freak out and go, ah! And Baker Mayfield's not even going to be phased. I can hear it in his voice. I can hear him saying, it's not a big deal. I don't care. I can literally hear him saying that. It's not going to affect him. Because Baker Mayfield sets the tone in Cleveland. He's not phased by those kind of things. And again, OBJ has his buddy Jarvis Landry in Cleveland. They're going to help each other. They're going to push each other. I truly believe, again, look, I could be wrong. I am willing to be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll do a, a topic this fall that said, you know, Zach is a genius, and I'll make fun of myself for being totally wrong about this. Um, but, but honestly, look, I really believe Odell Beckham Jr. is in a really, really good place with the Cleveland Browns. He's got everything he needs to be successful. He have a group of people who can help OBJ find success more than he's ever found before. They have, you know, a leader, Baker Mayfield, he's got his buddy Jarvis Landry. Not to mention, how do you cover anybody on the Cleveland Browns with, you know, David Joku, <laughs> Jarvis Landry, OBJ, Nick Chubb, um, Antonio Callaway. Eventually, they'll have Kareem Hunt. Man, I don't know. I think OBJ is really, really set up for success with the Cleveland Browns. And I think by far, the Cleveland Browns are the very best fit for Odell Beckham Jr. and his personality. Of all the teams in the NFL that could pick him up, the Browns are the very best fit for Odell Beckham Jr., uh, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do a breakdown of Will Greer. We'll talk about March Madness. We'll also talk about Dwayne Haskins' Pro Day. We'll talk about Mike Trout's contract. Uh, a lot of stuff coming up ahead. Remember, subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, everywhere you can find a podcast. And help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. Okay, we are back. Um, 
going to be weird. There's like happy music playing. I'm going to say something that uh, really matters to me a lot. Uh, I, I think I try to do this every episode. I want to remind you guys that if you're struggling, please go get help. Um, you know, my brother committed suicide once. It was awful. It's the worst thing I've ever been through. And uh, my brother never talked about his struggles. He never shared with anybody. Uh, one day I just went home and found my brother dead on the floor of his bedroom. And he never, ever shared the things he was struggling with. So please, I really encourage you. If you're struggling, please go get help. Do not keep it a secret. Go talk to somebody. Uh, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. But man, talk to a professional, but talk to, talk to somebody, please. Do not keep your struggles a secret. It's the worst thing you can do. If you're struggling, please go talk to somebody. Please go get help. That's the message I try to share every single episode. It's really meaningful to me. If you are struggling, please talk to somebody and go get help. Okay, um... I want to now talk about Will Greer, quarterback out of West Virginia. Um, why the NFL doesn't really like Will Greer. <laughs> it's interesting. So um, Will Greer is the quarterback out of West Virginia. He's entering the 2019 NFL draft. And I, I just want to be straight up. I want to cut to the chase. The reason why Will Greer is not being highly considered in the NFL draft is because of his arm strength. That's the number one problem NFL evaluators have with Will Greer. Let me be clear what that means, too. That doesn't mean he can't throw the ball really far. It's not about distance. NFL evaluators are concerned with the, the way Will Greer drives the ball downfield, the zip on the ball, the velocity, the speed at which the ball travels. Here's what I don't want people to comment. I don't want people to comment, well, his stats were incredible, Zach. He threw for 3,864 yards, 37 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and a 67% completion percentage. Great. That's all awesome. I'm not... <laughs> I, frankly, I don't care. Uh, quarterbacks often have great statistics in college. Kellen Moore and Sean Mannion had prolific college careers. College stats do not mean you're going to do well as an NFL passer. Don't give me stats. How about what you see on film? And what I see on film from Will Greer is a guy whose arm is okay. It's not awful. It's not the best either, though. You watch Drew Locke has throws on tape Will Greer simply cannot make. Kyler Murray makes throws. Will Greer is not going to make downfield. You see the same thing with Dwayne Haskins. People fear that Will Greer can't drive the ball deep downfield into tight windows. And what's sad is I think because of that, because they're concerned with his arm strength, people are missing and ignoring a lot of the things that Will Greer does really, really well. He's got really good timing. He's able to work all the way across the field when making reads. And he's polished in the pocket. He makes really good decisions. He's underrated as a decision maker in college football. but. Here's the thing. The NFL is not a charity. If Will Greer's arm strength and mechanics don't improve, he's never going to be a starter in the NFL. Will Greer needs to get better throwing the ball downfield. His arm strength and his mechanics got to get better. Here's what Will Greer does when he throws the football. He does not use his hips when he throws the ball. Will Greer's throwing motion consists of Will Greer's arm doing all of the work. Here's the thing. Throwing the football is kind of like hitting a baseball. You want to drive your hips and generate force. Will Greer does not use his hips to throw a football. He generates all the force with his arm and his upper body rotating. It's really unhealthy, and it limits your ability to drive the ball downfield. I mean, I legitimately feel bad for Will Greer because he does so many things well, and this one trait, part of his throwing motion, is what's holding him back. It's very sad. But not all hope is lost. I mean, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, they both came into the NFL and dramatically improved their ability throwing the ball, driving the ball downfield. They really changed their throwing motions and perfected their mechanics. Maybe Will Greer can do the same thing. I mean, it's possible Will Greer finds a way to become a better passer in the NFL. 
It's also worth noting, there are occasional moments where he narrows his base, and we see flashes of what he could become. You know, there are some throws against Texas Tech where he simply looks like a different quarterback with a much stronger arm. So there is hope. He could eventually really improve his arm strength and have a higher chance at success at the NFL level. Honestly, I believe the Patriots and their system are a perfect fit for Will Greer. That's who I hope drafts him. I hope the Patriots pick up Will Greer. Uh, Now, look, he's not all perfect. He has some really big issues throwing the football. Uh, One of them is this. He throws a lot of 50-50 balls, which means that there's a 50% chance the defender's going to come down with the ball, and there's a 50% chance Will Greer's wide receiver comes down with the football. He relies far too heavily on his wide receivers to make plays for him. He doesn't dime up great throws. He kind of hangs the ball in the air. His wide receivers go make incredible plays catching the football. David Sills really bailed him out of a lot of bad throws last year in 2018. He also held onto the ball way too often. Now, in some ways, he's a project, right? He didn't play under center at all at his second college, West Virginia. And you really got to hope he develops his mechanics and improves his arm strength as he spends time during his career. But let's be honest, playing quarterback is not all about the measurables. If he gets put into the right system and is given good enough coaching, he could have some NFL success. But because of what he lacks physically, I mean, the way he throws the ball, it doesn't, he doesn't really drive the ball with a lot of zip. It kind of floats and meanders on its way to its target. Guys like Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, they're always going to get drafted ahead of him. And, and frankly, I agree with that. I mean, we'll, look, we'll see what happens. I'm rooting for him. He seems like a great guy. Uh, and, and maybe, maybe we'll find out that maybe Will Greer is a diamond in the rough. Okay, um, we're in the midst of March Madness. <laughs> And I think it's time for me to admit something. Uh, There are two things in sports I just do not care about at all. The first thing is fantasy football. I just, like, if you love it, great. I'm very happy for you. Um, I don't hate it or anything. I I just, fantasy football is not for me. It's not something I'm excited about. It's like a, I mean, fantasy football is like a full-time job. It is so much work. It's daunting. It's not interesting to me at all. Uh, For me, you know, fantasy football is way too much work and energy. I'm not a fan of fantasy football. I don't find it fun. But the other thing I don't like in sports, the two weird things that I don't like, I hate making a bracket. Not a fan. I don't fill out a March Madness bracket ever. Um, I, have, I never have. I have no desire to. Don't want to do it. Sounds like a lot of work. And frankly, I, I just don't get it. I mean, there's 64 teams. How could you possibly be informed on 64 teams and make a decision? I, I, no way. I, I can't. I, I can never be fully informed on 64 teams in a bracket. And I'm weird and analytical, and I just can't ever get myself to enjoy filling out a bracket. That's not who I am. It's not something I enjoy. Um, and let's be honest, it just causes more work. You're, you're probably, if you're following March Madness, maybe you love it, very happy for you. Um, it, it, for me, it's like, you got to watch all these games and you got to make all these picks and fill out a bracket and literally do the time to write something in and paper. I'm like, I don't have time. Papers do and work and all kinds of stuff. Uh, now, here's, what, here's how I watch March Madness. I do love March Madness. I'm a big fan. I get nachos, watch it with my dad. Um, and I take notes during the first couple rounds. I sit back, I observe. I watched around round of 64. I watched around round of 62. And by the time the week, you know, the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 roll around, I have a general idea of every team. I've got really good notes and a, an idea of what every team looks like and can make picks and kind of decide who I think is going to win. Um, but I just like to be more informed before I make decisions. I do not like filling out a bracket. I have no interest. It's weird to me. I'm not a fan of fantasy football, and I'm not a guy who enjoys filling out a bracket that just does not excite me at all. If you do, if you're loving it, fantastic. I'm very happy for you. Um, I, I do not fill out a bracket. I just don't, I, I don't have the interest and I don't have the intrigue in that. Uh, 
uh, one thing we should talk about now is uh, Zion Williamson. So in the middle of February, on February 20th, Zion Williamson hurt his knee uh, at the beginning of a game with North Carolina University. It was a knee sprain. And uh, many people told him to shut it down, to say, you know, to say, hey, your college career is over. Don't play the rest of the season. Just cash out and wait. You know, the NBA draft is on June 20th, a couple months away. I mean, Zion's a, a no, likely a number one overall pick. And people said, just look, sit it out. You're good. Don't play. Don't risk the money. Just wait until you get paid in June. And Zion didn't do that. I mean, Zion missed six games in three weeks. And then in the ACC tournament the other day, he went back to his team. He came back, said, I'm going to play and finish the rest of the year. And I, and I really believe people should give him credit for that. People should be way more interested and way more appreciative and really way more commendable, um, way, way, way more commending of what Zion Williamson did. I'm not saying it's incredible. Like, to choose to play basketball is not some incredible thing that he should be celebrated for, but no one's really appreciating what he did. He didn't have to come back. Zion Williamson did not have to come back if he'd never played another minute of basketball in college basketball in NCAA. He still would have probably been the number one overall pick. But what it shows is the kind of competitor that he is to come back and say, I know I have money made. I know I'm going to be the number one pick. I'm still going to come back and play my final games at Duke. That, that is what I love. That speaks to me. That's fantastic. That's the kind of guy you want in college basketball. That's so cool. I mean, I feel better. If I'm an NBA team considering drafting Zion Williamson number one overall, I'd feel a lot better now knowing that he's the kind of guy who would come back and compete for his team than if he sat out and didn't play it all the rest of the year in the NCAA. I just, I don't know. I, I understand if he hadn't played, I would have got it. I would have been totally, I would have understood, said, look, you're going to be right, so why risk that? But to me, what Zion Williamson showed by coming back to college basketball, he showed everybody, I care about more than just the money. He's a competitor, and that's what you want. If you're a, a fan of sports like I am, a guy who just, I just love sports. I'm a weird nerd. I love it. You want your superstar athletes to be guys who want to win games. That is who Zion Williamson is, and that's what really impressed me, and I'm really, I just wish more people were impressed with the kind of competitor he is. I've not heard anything like that. I've never heard, people said, of course he should come back. It's assumed he would come back. Oh, it's like, can we just appreciate a little bit and really commend him for what he did? Because not everybody, everybody would have come back, and he certainly didn't have to. And the fact that we're getting, as, you know, as a country, as a, as a, a, a really a, a globe, we're getting a guy, we're going to watch Zion Williamson for years in the NBA, and we have a competitor, a guy who's willing to come back and fight for his team. We are getting a treat for the next couple of years, getting to watch Zion Williamson. And it is so cool. He's that kind of competitor. And it's going to be a ton of fun from years to come watching Zion Williamson. Eventually, he's going to leave Duke and play in the NBA. And it's going to be so much fun to watch a guy with that kind of competitive spirit. Uh, the other day, we got to talk about this. I was going to talk about Mike Trout. But one more important thing we should talk about is... Uh, Dwayne Haskins just had his pro days, an Ohio State quarterback. And look, Dwayne Haskins did exactly what I said he would do at his pro day. Threw the ball great. I've said this before. I'll say it again. When Dwayne Haskins has everything lined up, he is fantastic. His accuracy is unbelievable. I mean, look, he's throwing in shorts. You got to look. I mean, you better look good. If you're throwing in shorts at your pro day, you should make every throw. You have no reason to miss any throw. But I don't care about how he threw at his pro day. Truly the best moment for me when I was watching Dwayne Haskins' pro day was when, you know, everyone's overlooking this. One of his wide receivers fell over. It looked like he hurt himself a little bit, and Dwayne Haskins was very concerned. He ran out to the guy and, and just showed, oh, I, I'm, I'm not here just for me. I, I also care about you. Even in this big moment with all the lights on him, all, all this pressure, you got to throw really well. People are taking notes on every little move you're making. 
he said, screw this moment and cared about his guy. Just, he went and said, Hey, how are you doing? That that's really cool to me. That's what I like. I mean, watching him interact with his teammates, high-fiving them. And that's, that's the kind of guy I would want to draft to my football team. I did a film breakdown of Dwayne Haskins. And the one thing you'll never see on film when you break down Dwayne Haskins is the kind of person he is. I mean, you can kind of get an idea of his competitive spirit, but I, I just want to say, I've never said this before. I love Dwayne Haskins interviews. Seems like a great guy. Seems like a guy you want to be a part of your franchise. I would love to be teammates with Dwayne Haskins. He gets it. And, and I really, really want to commend him for that. Um, I, I just haven't had a chance to say that in any, any, any of my videos so far. And I, I want to clarify something too. Um, I've said I'd take Kyler Murray over Dwayne Haskins. I, I, I still think to, my, to this day, I would draft Kyler Murray number one overall, and I would rather have Kyler Murray than Dwayne Haskins. Um, and people get really, really mad at me when I say that. They're like, oh, you're awful. You hate Dwayne Haskins. And for me, it's not a knock on Dwayne Haskins. It's more a, a statement about Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray is incredible. Um, but, you know, I get... I get mischaracterized all the time. People think I hate Dwayne Haskins. I don't at all. Um, I see Dwayne Haskins having a lot of success in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I, I said that in my film breakdown. I said, I believe in Dwayne Haskins. I really respect his work ethic. I think he's going to succeed in the NFL. Um, he had, you know, more bad plays than Kyler Murray had. But that's not, I don't know. It's a silly thing, I think, for people to hate me. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think Dwayne Haskins is a good quarterback. And, uh, I, look, I don't think he's some incredible phenom, but I really, again, I really respect Dwayne Haskins' work ethic. There are stories about him at Ohio State. He was the backup quarterback, and he just prepared. He'd throw afterwards after practice for hours with guys. Um, I think he has issues. I think Dwayne Haskins has flaws like everybody else. But I want to be very, very clear. I've gotten a lot of hate for this. because I said I, All I said was, I said Dwayne Haskins, in my opinion, is not the best quarterback in the NFL draft. I didn't say he's bad. I didn't say I don't believe in him. I want to be very clear. I believe in Dwayne Haskins. I think he's a great quarterback. I think he's got a really good work ethic. And I think it's silly. I, I, I think he's going to work out. I wouldn't take him number one overall. Um, I, I really think he would have been better off sitting at Ohio State, staying at Ohio State for one more year and developing, getting, becoming a better quarterback. But he's a, he's a good quarterback. He's going to succeed in the NFL, I think, especially if he gets a good coach. And I just wanted to clarify again, I think Dwayne Haskins is a good quarterback. The comments I get on YouTube are like, I shouldn't really answer them. I shouldn't really worry about them. But it's like, do you guys not realize I think Dwayne Haskins is going to be successful? I've said that before. I'll say it again. And um, I just felt the need to clarify that. Last thing I want to talk about today. Um, Mike Trout just signed a massive, massive contract extension with the LA Angels. He's an ML ML the MLB superstar got a 12-year deal worth 400, listen to this, a 12-year deal for a baseball superstar, but yeah, a 12-year deal worth $430 million. I mean, that's $430 million. That's $100 million more than Manny Machado's contract. And I say good for the Angels. I think that's fantastic. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Bryce Harper signed a really big contract with the Philadelphia Phillies, like 13 years, $300 million. And um, what he did, what Bryce Harper did was begin to actively recruit Mike Trout to the Philadelphia Phillies. And it made sense. I mean, Mike Trout's from around Philadelphia. He's a big Philadelphia sports fan. He goes to Eagles game and, and 76ers games. And I said at the time, if you are the LA Angels, it's kind of like if someone was trying to steal your girlfriend. How do you make your girlfriend happy? You can't worry about the guy trying to steal your girlfriend. If you want to keep your girlfriend around, you got to make your girlfriend happy. Focus your attention on that. That's what the Angels did. The Angels focused their attention on their guy and meeting the needs of their guy, Mike Trout. I like that. That's what they did. Um, the Angels get that. They gave him a huge contract. Good for them. 
Uh, look, Mike Trout's a two-time MVP, a seven-time All-Star. He's fantastic. Well-deserving of that. I mean, that's a huge, I think that's the biggest contract maybe in history. I, it's, he's unbelievable, and uh, I, I feel really good and happy for the LA Angels. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. That's all I have today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I look, this week was awful. This week is so stressful. I just like I had, I had five big assignments for college. I got to move out tomorrow, go back home for a week. Um, and I uh, I'm so you have no idea how excited I am to go home and record in my room where it's not all echoey. It's not all. It's like gonna be super weird to me. It's not echoey. There's no loud sounds outside. Um, next week's podcast is gonna be fantastic. I'm doing three next week, and it's gonna be really good. I cannot wait to share with you guys. Um, guys, I'll be right. Uh, I'll be back on Tuesday. Tuesday next week. And I uh, hope you have a great weekend. But um, bum, bam, we are done. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And I, I want to I ask for your help. I want this show to grow. I want more people to watch and more people to listen to this podcast. My dream is to do this show as my full-time job. I want to own it myself. I want to do it on the internet and have complete control. I don't want to do it for CBS or ESPN. I don't want to work for a big network. I want to own it myself. And if you believe in that dream, please do me a huge favor. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast. Share it on Facebook. Share a link on Twitter. Maybe you screenshot it. Put it on Instagram. I, I, I don't have a marketing strategy beyond this. This is all I have. You know, a lot of people, one of the most common comments I get on YouTube is, you have great content. We love your stuff. You deserve more viewers. What you should do is you should buy ad spaces on Facebook or Twitter or promote yourself and buy, buy revenue, like buy ads. I have no money. I am a broke college kid. I, I can't buy ad spaces. I, 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 don't have, I don't have money to pay for books. And so my plan, this is my marketing plan. This is my strategy. All I plan to do is put every ounce of effort I have into making the very best podcast I can. I believe if I make a great product that people believe in, that people like, then they will share it with their friends. And so if you agree with that, if you believe in the show, if you like what I do, please do me a huge favor. Tell your friends about it. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast.